Hello, this is the Made Musings podcast, the podcast that focuses on everyday issues, illnesses, and disabilities that affect everyday people. Find us anywhere you listen to your podcast and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Meet Muses. Please subscribe. Welcome to another episode of the Made Musings podcast. Today, I have a guest who is a cancer warrior, is also a writer, is a motivational speaker, and is based in Colorado in the USA. I'm just so eager and excited to share your story today. So welcome, Terry. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you and looking forward to it. Thank you for honoring the invite to join us for this episode. So can you please just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Sure. So I am one of three boys. You, you, you can't tell this, but uh, I'm, I'm six foot eight inches tall and I played basketball in college. And I, and I have a, a brother who's six foot seven. And then I have a, a, another brother who is six foot six. Who, and then my dad was six foot five. So if you sat behind our family in church, there, there wasn't a prayer. I would probably need two of me to stand behind one of you to make up your height. Exactly. You know, but my mom was only five foot seven. So, you know, and she was the boss, whatever mom said went, I mean, we were, we, you know, we did whatever she said, didn't matter how big we were, but so I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And after I did that, I moved home to find a job. I had this newly obtained business administration degree, and I was all set to make my mark on the world. And I did find my first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the, the international hamburger chain. But I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my dad and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In my professional career, like I said, I've been a marketing executive. I was a hospital administrator. I was a police officer. I did undercover uh, drug work. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I had my own school security consulting business. I was also a high school basketball coach. I was, and recently I've been a motivational speaker and an author, but for the the past nine years, as you mentioned, I've I've kind of been a cancer warrior. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 27 years and we have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a Lieutenant in the newly formed Space Force here in the States. I don't even know what hat to put on your head, like you're a father, you are a basketball coach. You are a former police officer, investigator. And I mean, you're all over the place. Yeah, one of these days I'll figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up, right? So, <laughs> What are you going to do? So what did you actually plan to do when you grow up eventually? I mean, my passion has always been to be a policeman. That, that was something that that I always wanted to do. And, and, and I did it. I found, I thought that was my purpose and, and I lived it. And my grandfather was also a policeman, but my dad didn't want me to have anything to do with law enforcement. He wanted me to go to college and get a degree and go into business. But that, that really, that really unfortunately wasn't my passion. Why wasn't you didn't really want to be what your dad wanted you to be? So my, my dad remembered his father, who was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. He remembered, he, he was very little when it happened. He, he doesn't remember the incident, but he remembers his mom talking about how traumatic it was on the family. He thought I could do better, to be honest with you. And I just had this passion to want to be in law enforcement. And as I mentioned earlier, he, he was sick when I graduated from college. He had cancer and and I didn't want to to kind of pour salt in the wound, so to speak, and and go against him while he was sick. So I waited until he passed away. I really kind of followed my passion. And I, I don't know if that was right or wrong, but it was something that I felt I didn't want to hurt him by by defying him or going against what he wanted me to do. So 
I waited till he died. And, and then I did what I knew I had to do in my heart. I'm sorry. Your dad, I mean, you said he died of cancer. Your grandmom had cancer as well. So- yeah, my, my grandmother and my father both had cancer. And so I had to stay at home when I graduated from college with my mom to to help her care for both of them. They were my grandmother was living with us. So we had two people in the house at the same time that were that unfortunately were both dying of cancer. Oh, so sorry to hear that. And it, it sounds like you have the cancer gene in the family then. You would think that. The funny thing is, is a couple summers ago, I had a genetic test of all the 88 genes that, that they either know or suspect cause cancer. And I didn't have any mutations in any of my genes. Wow. So. Yeah. So, I, I mean, but, to, you, but you definitely have cancer and you've I do. been a warrior for nine years. I do. How is that possible? I, and, that, and I ask that question of my doctor all the time. It's like, you know, how did this happen to me when I don't have any of these mutations in any of my genes? And, and he kind of throws his hands up and says, I, I don't know. He said, the only thing I can point to is it might be trauma related. And, you know, I looked at him like, well, I've, I've never had a trauma to that area of my body. I've never, it was, it was presented in my foot. I've never had, I've never broken that foot. I've, I've never even had a sprained ankle on that foot. So we really just don't know why it happened, but it certainly happened. And eventually, you know, that's just the way it goes. So I don't I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why. I just know it happened. And so I'm going to have to deal with it. Oh, yeah. Of course, we have to deal with it when things happen. I mean, sometimes you, you want to know why, because I'm that kind of person. I want to look at the whys, the hows, and whens. So I need to have all those answers to those questions. But sometimes it's just not possible to get the answers where you want it. Definitely. Uh, tell us about this cancer and what's been your experience so far. Sure. So at the time that the cancer was detected, I was a high school basketball coach. And so I was on my feet a lot and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And I really didn't think a lot of it because, as I said, I was on my feet a lot. But after a week or two of it not healing, I went to the doctor. And uh, this was a friend of mine who was a podiatrist, a foot doctor. And he, he put some pads in my shoes and said, well, we'll see if that works. And it didn't. And then he went and took an x-ray and, and I had a little cyst that was in there. And so he cut it out and he showed it to me and he said, you know, I've, I've seen thousands of these, no big deal, but I'll send it off to pathology. And two weeks later, he called me And he was having a difficult time telling me what was wrong. The more he fumbled for his words, the more frightened I became until finally he was able to tell me that I had this very rare form of melanoma, which we normally think is a skin disease that was on the bottom of my foot. And he told me, he said, I've been a doctor for 25 years and I've never seen this form of cancer. So he suggested that I go be treated at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, here in the United States, which is is one of the the better cancer hospitals that we have in the country, maybe in the world. So I went to MD Anderson. I had two surgeries to remove the tumor on my foot and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And when I healed, I was put on a drug called Uh, It was actually a a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. For me, interferon was a it was horrible. It, It was nasty. It was debilitating to me because basically it gave me flu like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. I lost. How long did you have that for? It was almost five years, four years and seven months. And the only reason it stopped is because it became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a, with a fever or a temperature of 108 degrees, which 
usually isn't compatible with being alive. But I was at a great hospital and they were able to stabilize me and send me to the intensive care unit. So I guess just imagine having the flu for two to three days every week for almost five years. And that's that's kind of what I went through. That would be quite frustrating for you. No, it was terrible. I, I, I mean, it, it was just, I was always cold. I, I always had a headache. My body ached. You know, there were, there were days where I just, you know, I was throwing up all the time. I mean, all the things that we associate with the flu were the symptoms that I had, but I didn't have the flu. Those were your reactions you had to the medication that was supposed exactly. to treat you for the yeah. cancer. So was there any time at all during that time that you actually felt well? No, no, I, I, you know, it was, it was kind of like a bell curve. You would think that, so I took the shot on Saturday night. And so Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday were when I really felt the worst. And then I would start to feel better on Wednesday and Thursday. And, and you would think that either Friday or Saturday would be, you know, now I'm, I'm feeling probably the best that I felt, but it was almost like my body knew that the, the next injection was coming. So Saturday was, was kind of like, you know, my body getting ready. It would be tense and tight and I had a headache and I ached and it was like, this should be a great day, but, but it wasn't. I mean, it really was like my body knew that it was coming that night. And so, yeah, so it, it, it was horrible. I, I mean, it was, I, I never felt good. I always felt cold. You know, I, I mean, even in the summertime when it was 90 degrees out, I would be wearing sweatpants and a, and a jacket because I was I was chilled and that. So, yeah, so it, it constantly, constantly affected me. And then when it stopped in 2017, the cancer came back in the exact same place that it had originally presented. And my only treatment option was the amputation of most of my left foot which occurred in uh, January of 2018, came back again in 2019. I had two more surgeries on my shin. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia or my shin bone. Wait a minute. You had your amputation in 2018? I had my foot amputated in 2018. Yes. And you then amputated in 2018 and still the cancer came back even after the amputation. Yeah, it came actually, it moved up the leg into my shin and I had two surgeries. I had two tumors in 2019 removed. And then in 2020, um, there was a tumor uh, just to, just kind of above where my ankle would have been that grew large enough, it was, and it was undiagnosed, they didn't know it was there, and it grew large enough to fracture my, my shin bone, my tibia, and that led to additional testing, and it found that my entire lower leg was just full of cancer. So I, in, in 2020, last year, April of, of last year, I had my leg amputated above the knee, right in the middle of a global pandemic. Literally, my wife dropped me off at the hospital. I was the only surgery that day. Nobody could be with me. I was in the hospital for a couple of days where I should have been in for a week. And my doctor kicked me out and said, go home. And How so I went home. How did you feel all through this time? I mean, you've had to have parts of the body amputated just to stop the cancer growing. And still it keeps spreading more and more despite being on this medication that made you feel so awful. Yeah. It, it you know, my, I, I have, I have moved since my original doctor. So I, I have another oncologist now. And, and he told me, he said, you know, wherever your cancer is in your body, it's already there. It, it went, when I first got cancer, wherever it went, it went there. It just wasn't big enough to be detected. And when I found out about my leg having to be amputated, I also found out that I had tumors that had grown large enough in my lungs to be detected. So yeah, I was on this drug for five years and it, it really didn't, it didn't work. Or, or 
or maybe you can say it did work. It kept the cancer at bay for a while and it allowed additional treatments or therapies to become available, which I'm taking advantage of now that weren't available, you know, when I was diagnosed. So, you know, it's sort of a a double-edged sword, you know, which was better or or how did I benefit from it? But bottom line is, you know, I have tumors in my lungs now, I have no leg, and now I'm, I'm just having to fight these tumors in my lungs. We will take a quick break, and when we get back, we will continue to the next part of this recording. Don't go away. Please stay tuned. For help and support on dealing with cancer issues in the UK, you can contact Macmillan Cancer Research Organization. They are available on 0808-808-0000 or 0808-239-2000 or you can chat to a specialist on their website which is www.macmillian.org.uk and for myeloma cancer you have the Myeloma Foundation, which is available on 0800-980-3332. And in the U.S., you have the American Institute for Cancer Research. They are available on 1-800-843-8114. I'm so sorry to hear that story. It sounds awful. In spite of all this, you sound so positive. What is it that makes you so positive, so motivated? I know you are a motivational speaker, and don't tell me it's the power of motivational speaking, because I don't think that works in this situation. No, you're right. It's not. I mean, what I have found or what I've learned during my journey is is kind of what I I speak about. And I, I guess what's gotten me through this or what's gotten me to this point uh, are, are, are a couple of things. I mean, the first one I, I call the three F's, which is faith, family, and friends. And I've, I've had a, always had a tremendous faith in God. Um, and I believe that when you find your purpose in life, find the reason that you were put on this earth and you live that reason at the end of your life, things aren't so scary. And and a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, think about the end game. Think about what people will say about you at your funeral. You know, what is your legacy going to be? How are your ancestors going to look at your life and say, was that a positive thing or, or, or was it not a positive thing? So I always tell people to kind of look at the end, even now, especially if you're young, Because if you don't like what people are going to say about you, or if you don't like what you think the outcome is going to be, you have time to change that. You have time to make adjustments in your life to make you and your life better. And you can't do that at the end of your life. And and I talked a minute ago about my passion about law enforcement. And especially with young people, I I always try to tell them that if you have a passion in your heart for something, whatever that is, but it scares you to go ahead and do it. Because two things are going to happen. One, you're going to grow because you got outside your comfort zones and you did something that scared you or made you nervous. And two, at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things that you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. And at the end of your life, it's too late to go back and do those. So do those scary you know, worrisome, maybe embarrassing moments. And it doesn't have to be a job like it was for me. Maybe you want to ask somebody out or or maybe you want to get a certain <laughs> degree or whatever you want to do that scares you. Go ahead and do that. Because like I said, at the end of your life, you're going to regret the things you didn't do, not the things that you did. Oh, thank you so much. That actually reminds me of my motto in life. Feel the fear, but do it anyway. I feel the fear. I push myself every day. And I know a lot of people are going through terrible times right now. But we just have to, like you said, feel the fear and do it anyway. I mean, whatever you think, you just don't have the 
the capability to do, that's the thing that you really need to do. I mean, with your story, you are saying you have your faith and your family and your friends that got you through these periods. Have you ever questioned your faith, even during this time that you had this um, cancer at any point in your life anyway? I've been asked that question, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? And I don't. I mean, I don't think no, God... I don't, I don't mean blaming God. It's different. Blaming God for your cancer is different from questioning your faith. I mean, you are like, okay, why has God allowed this to come on you as a Christian? It's different from saying, God, I blame you. They are two different things entirely. It, it is. And, and, and I've, I don't, I've not questioned my faith and I don't blame God. I found strength, I guess, in knowing that God is there for me, you know, and, and, and I come on podcasts and I, and I make it, you know, sometimes I feel like, like I'm projecting that I have all the answers. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I get scared. I, I get worried. I cry. I get down. I, I do all the things that everybody else does. I guess the difference is, is when that happens, I don't let myself stay there. I, I get off the ground. I mean, I'm always going to have pain and that, that's just part of, of my treatment and things like that. But someday that pain's going to end. And, and that may be through surgery. That may be through drugs. That may be through death. But if I quit, if I give up, then that pain or pain is always going to be there. So I rely on God to take care of me because, like I said, I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not superhuman. You know, there, there's no big S on my chest and I don't have a cape and I don't fly around. I don't have all the answers, but I figured out what works for me. So, yeah, I, I really have not questioned my faith during any of this. All right. So you're not scared of death either as well. You know, I'm not. And, and I think that's because I found my purpose in life and I lived it. There's a there's an American author and, and humorist by the name of Mark Twain who had a great quote. And this is what he said. He said, the two most important days of our lives are the day that we're born and the day we figure out why. And I always ask people when I talk, especially to groups, it's like, do you know why you were put on this earth? And sometimes I'll even take that a step further and ask people, do you know why you were born now? Why weren't you born, you know, 5,000 years ago or, <laughs> or 25,000 years in the future? There's a reason you were born. And that reason involves finding and living your purpose. I believe that we're all destined to live uncommon and extraordinary lives. And that has nothing to do with what kind of job we have or how much money we make or, or what kind of house we live in or anything like that. It has nothing to do with anything material like that. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. And, and during, I, I guess it's nine years now that I've been battling cancer, I've had plenty of time to think about my own death. And after I die, I can't imagine standing in the presence of our creator, whoever or whatever you believe that entity to be, and being unable to account for the gifts and the talents that I was born with that I didn't use to make the world a better place. There's a, a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I'll, that I'll end this with that I'll share with you. And it goes like this. It says, when you were born... You cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. The only way to make that happen is to find your purpose in life and to live it. Oh, thank you so much. I like that. When you were born, the world rejoiced. But when you, you die, cried and the world rejoiced. Yep. Yeah. Make the world cry for you. Oh, and you rejoice at the end. And you will rejoice. And the rejoicing will be that you are living this earth filled with all the problems, filled with all the tribulations and all the pains. And you'll be in a better place. Right. I believe that, too. I mean, there's just so much beauty in this world that 
I just feel there's there's something bigger than us out there. Oh, thank you. So can you share some of your memorable moments whilst you've been through this cancer journey? Certainly the the time I was on interferon for that that almost five years. I mean, that's a that's a huge memory. That that's a, a day there, there were days, and, and I talk a lot about this about winning the day. You know, you've got to do what you need to do to win the day. When I was on interferon, sometimes winning the day meant winning the moment, you know, that that I was so weak and so tired and so sick that literally all I could do was take a load of laundry and put it in the wash machine to try to help my wife out. I, I mean, that that for me was winning the day. That was that was the best I could do. I, I've always been athletic and and on, on really good days, I would try to go to the gym and maybe, you know, ride an exercise bike for 20 minutes or something like that. And and when I was done with that, I was exhausted. I, I was I was done for the day. So so I I always try to convince people that it's you know, it's up to you how to win the day. It's it's up to you whether winning the day means winning a moment or whether you can win the entire day. So that was that was one memory. I I've had um I've had people kind of look at me like, you know what, you, you should stop this. And, and when I found out I had tumors in my lungs, I didn't want to take chemotherapy. And I came home and I talked to my wife and, and my daughter about it. And we kind of had a little family meeting and I got out voted two to one, you know, to take care, to take chemotherapy. And, and I kind of joke about that, but I'll tell you a story from when I was in the police academy, the the individual who taught us what was called defensive tactics, which were things that we needed to do to try to keep ourselves alive out on the street, he used to make us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we trained on these different techniques, we were to look at that photograph because what he believed was you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. And he wanted you to realize that at three o'clock in the morning, when you're fighting some drunk guy, there were, it was big. This was bigger than you. There were people who wanted you to come home, whether it was your, your spouse or your children or your mom and dad or your boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it was. And he wanted you to realize that this was bigger than you, that there were other people who were relying on you. So, so that was a, you know, that was just kind of something that I always sort of stuck in the back of my head. And I've used that from time to time to realize that this just isn't about me. You know, this is about my wife and daughter. This is about my mother, my brothers, my friends. And, you know, that circle just keeps getting bigger. And I'm kind of at the center of it. And it's just it makes me feel good that I have those people around me to support and to love and help me through all this. We will take a quick break. And when we get back. We will continue to the next part of this recording. Don't go away. Please stay tuned. This is going to be awesome. Sexual assault and violence against women, kids, LGBTQ folks, people who are disabled, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and those living in marginalized communities is an epidemic all around the globe. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Together, we can interrupt the cycle of violence. My name is Sylvia Smart, and I'm the host of the Empowerment Podcast by Naga. You can find it on all your favorite apps. See you there. Oh, thank you. Yes, when you have um, somebody that you you know this person loves you and they would miss you if anything happens to you, then that gives you the extra motivation to fight harder. And I think it's it's it actually works in every situation. Either you are at the war front, either you are going through any situation. Sometimes all you need to do is think of those people who love you, not of yourself. Don't think about yourself. 
just think of others and that would motivate you to work harder that will motivate you to fight for survivor that's you're right kicking you're your survivor right. instinct that's exactly the word survivor instinct comes in when you know somebody is looking forward to having daddy back home having husband back home having a father a son i mean that's all the motivation you need thank you so much for sharing that that's something that people would hold on to and that's a legacy yes you're living all the legacies right now absolutely yeah so can you also please talk about your book because you mentioned that you are an author what is the book about and what was the motivation for writing the book the book is called sustainable excellence the 10 principles to living your uncommon and extraordinary life. And and the book was really born out of kind of two conversations that I had. One was with a former basketball player that I coached who moved to the area where my wife and I live now. And we had had dinner with her and her boyfriend. And I remember saying, Nora, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're living close so that I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she kind of got quiet for a while And she looked at me and she said, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I told her, I said, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what (laughs) your life should be about, should be about finding that purpose. And then once you find it for living it. So that was one conversation. Another conversation was a young man in college who connected with me on LinkedIn. And he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn to not only be successful in his job or in business, but really to be successful in life. And I, I didn't want to give him the, the standard, you know, get up early, you know, work hard, <laughs> help others, that kind of stuff. Now, that's all important. And, and, and don't get me wrong, but, of but course. yeah, yeah, that's kind of all been done. And so I, I spent some time and I was, I started writing notes down as I was thinking about things. And, and eventually I came up with these 10, ideas or 10 principles, as I like to call them now, and I was comfortable with them. And and so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I looked and I said, you know, I have a life story that illustrates that principle, or I know somebody who has a life story about this principle and how it affected their life. And so I I literally sat down at the computer. Uh, I had my leg amputated in April and I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June. So for that three month period, I started to write stories or put stories underneath those 10 principles. And eventually I I had a book or or did I have a book? I I mean, I thought I might've, I gave it to some friends of ours. He, He was in the military and she was an attorney, a prosecutor, and is now a, a real estate lawyer. And independently, I said, would you please read this and tell me if there's anything here or if you think this is just, there, there's no nothing to it. And they both independently said, no, th- there's something here. You, this has made us think you need to go ahead and get this published. So that's, that's kind of how the book came about. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I always say that I wrote the book, but I honestly believe it was inspired by God. You know, I think God wanted me to get this stuff out into the world. And when the book was published, I was all excited and and I was doing everything I could to sell the book. And I remember I had a a best-selling author, a business author in in the United Kingdom, who kind of con- I contacted uh, him and we we've been exchanging ideas and he said Terry you're going about this the wrong way you're not in the business of selling books you're in the business of helping people if you help people the books will sell themselves and I was so glad that he said that to me because I I really kind of lost my focus <laughs> I, I didn't write the book to to make money or to be famous. I wrote it to help people. And he kind of put that in perspective for me. And it's been entirely different on how I've approached trying to market the book. Oh, thank you so much. So can you please uh, tell us some of the things you share in this book? Sure. So one of the principles that I 
that I've done, you've probably done it, I think most people have done it, is that most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where if you have a passion for something in your heart, but it scares you, now you've got a choice. Are you going to listen to your mind? Because we all know our minds are they're hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So if you're if you're challenging the status quo, if you want to do something kind of outside the norm, your brain knows your fears, it knows your insecurities, and it knows your vulnerabilities. And it's going to use those against you if you let it. But you have to tell your brain, no, sorry, yes, I want to go skydiving. And your brain's going to be like, well, the parachute may not open or the plane may crash. Or I mean, that's what your brain will do to you. You've got to say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to listen to me, to my heart and go forward. And I'll give you, I'll give you another quote. There was in 1976, and I'm really, I'm really dating myself now. So in, in 1976, there was a United States gold medal winning Olympic swimmer who said this. She said, winners think about what they want to happen and losers think about what they don't want to happen. So winners can override their brains and they can focus on the positive aspects of competition. Losers only see the negative aspects of competing and can't see anything positive about that. So that's really controlling your brain, how you get your brain to say, I'm going to override you and I'm going to go do this because I have a passion for it. So that that's one of them. And the, and again, th- these these principles are not in any order, but but the last one in the book, I think, is probably the most special. And it, it is that the greatest word in any language is the word love. And we all, you know, I mean, our, our society has gotten to the point where, you know, we're screaming at each other to try to be heard. And that's another another chapter in it is about listening, but not listening to reply but listening to understand what are you saying and why are you saying it? Not, not you're saying something and I'm going to get my two cents in there. So I'm going to just rush my comment. No, I want to understand where you're coming from. And if we can do that, and if we can do that out of a feeling of love for each other, not hate, not you're, you're bad or whatever. No, you're a human being just like me. You were created by God, just like me. You have certain talents and gifts that I don't, and I never will. And nobody else who's ever been created or whoever will be created is as unique as you are. And I, and I always try to keep that in perspective when I'm talking with people. That's a human being. That's not somebody I arrested when I was a policeman or somebody, you know, a player that I had when I was there. That's a human being. And I need to respect that. So those are a few of the things, few of the chapters that are in there. And I'll leave the rest of them kind of to your imagination. <laughs> oh, as, yeah, you know. I'm enjoying that now. I, I wanted you to share everything. So at least <laughs> I can have an idea of what it is before I go buy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, you know, it's funny because I've had a lot of people, including an 87-year-old man who bought the book and read it and, and contacted me out of the blue and said, I wish I would have had these principles when I was younger because my life would have been a whole lot better. So from that perspective, hopefully I helped him. And and I always say this to people, you know what, as long as you're still breathing, there's time for you to do whatever you're supposed to do. Don't think that, oh, I'm at the end of my life. I'm an old man. I can't do anything else. Yeah, you can. There's so much good that you can put in, in this world based on the experiences that you've had. Don't sit back, get out and play the game. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm going out to play the game right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing those. And yeah, love is the greatest gift of all. I think so many songs, so many artists in the film world is all been about. I mean, so many movies have been made that is centered on love. And so many songs have been written that has been centered on love. So we all know love is so essential. And that's the essence of humanity. Being human, being trying to understand 
what people are going through, seeing other people's perspectives, not just your own, not just your own view, not just whatever you think it's supposed to happen. Just look at others and think of, okay, what is this person going through? Put yourself in their shoes. Let's analyze what happened to him. Let's think of what happened before he took that action. I'm not saying people should go about committing crimes or anything, but let's all just apply that human sense and show more love to each other. That's what I'm saying. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we spend so much time, especially in society today, focusing on our differences, when in reality, we are so much, we have so much in common with, and it doesn't, you know, whether you're black or you're white, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, whether you're a Catholic or a Muslim, whether it doesn't matter. We are all human beings. And yes, we can focus on all the differences. You have a darker skin than I do. What does that matter? It doesn't matter at all. If I cut you, you believe the same red blood that I believe. Exactly. So why don't we focus on the things we have in common and try to find a way to put more love back into the world? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Not just, I mean, focus on the differences. We are all flawed and we are all perfect at the same time. So in helping each other, through the flaws, we all become better people and the world becomes a better place for us to live. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. So I know you have sounded so positive and so vibrant, but can you share the experience you had on one of those days that you had maybe lowest moments in your life? I think probably the day that I learned that I had cancer was probably one of the lowest. Um, you know, I, I was just like everybody else. I was going about living my life. I, I was working in my job. I was being with my family. And all of a sudden, here was this, you know, you've got this certainly chronic disease. It's not like we're going to get rid of it. You're always going to have it. And very well, terminal disease on top of it. And, you know, I kind of ran the gambit of emotions. You know, I, I first was like, no, 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 you must be mistaken. I, you know, I've done everything right in my life. I've, I, I have a physical exam with my doctor every year. I, I eat good foods. I don't abuse alcohol and drugs. I've never smoked. I exercise. All the things that we're supposed to do. So I'm like, no, 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 you must be mistaken. And, and then, then I think I got mad, you know, and it, I, I was just, you know, it's like, wait a minute, how could this possibly be happening to me? And then for a while, I got I got depressed. I got down. And eventually, like I said, I, I have experienced all those negative emotions. I just don't let myself stay there. And that's a choice. You know, we all have people, you know, we all have times where we lose our job or we break up with our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our marriage ends or, or somebody close to us dies. And we get, we get down, we get blue, we get depressed, whatever you want to say. It's your choice to stay there. It's your choice to stay there or say, you know what, I'm going to rise from those ashes. I'm going to rise like a phoenix does from the fire. And I'm going to become a better person based on either the relationship I had with that person who's no longer here or from what I learned from that person who's, who's no longer here or for that job that's no longer here. I always talk about, you know, competing and whether that's competing for a job or competing for a relationship or whatever it is, two things can happen when you compete. You can win or you can learn. And, and, and that's, <laughs> that's right, just so you don't lose. or you can learn. And I choose to think that, you know, that way you can't you can't lose because if you win, so much yeah. the better. If you learn, even if you're, you know, say you start a business and your business fails, what did you learn? Well, I learned this. Well, can you start another business? You know, maybe learning, maybe applying the things that you learned from that first business that failed. And if the answer is yes, then, okay, now you just shift your priorities to another location and try something different. So I, I, there's no reason why you shouldn't try new things because only two things can happen. You win or you learn. Oh, thank you so much. I like that as well. So how has this whole experience with cancer 
impacted on your attitude mm. to self-improvement? I, I've really kind of my purpose in life, I, I think, as I said a little earlier, is really to help other people now find and live their purpose. And and I see this, and, and, and maybe you do too, that, that so many people today kind of live a casual life. And as a result of that casual living, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions, they become a casualty of that unplanned living. I'm not saying that you've got to spend every minute of every day, you know, hitting it to, to find your purpose and stuff like that. No, you, we all need time to relax. We all need time to have fun. We all need time to be with our friends. But if your entire focus is, I'm just going to have a good time, then you're, you're going to get to a point in your life where, you know, maybe you don't have the time to find and live your purpose. And I remember telling my, my former player that there are people whose purpose hasn't been found until they're in their 60s or their 70s. And so many people go down that road, especially when they're, you know, I'm going to find a person, I'm going to find, and, and then they get frustrated because they haven't found it, or they get depressed because they haven't found it, and they quit. They give up on themselves, and they give up on their life. And so those are people that I, and I just call those people dead. Because they do the same thing every day. They get up, they go to work, <laughs> and nothing exciting happens. They come home, they They're watch like television. They to you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they do nothing with their lives. They're already dead. They just haven't fallen over yet. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. So I always tell people to do it. And it doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be rocket science where it's some great grandiose thing. Maybe I want to take a cooking class. Are you, are you learning something? Are you growing as a person? Yes, you are. My publisher of my book met his wife when he went to a conference. He was a police chief. He went to a conference to talk about police tactics. To, uh, it was a conference of writers so the writers could incorporate them into their books and uh, kind of understand what they're talking about. Well, he went out there to do a conference and ends up meeting his wife. Now, if he would have said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, that, that, that scares me. I don't want to get in front of people and stuff like that. But I mean, he he lived his life and he ended up meeting his wife. And, and so what a great opportunity he had and, and what a great thing came out of that. So I always tell people, don't don't sit back and wait for life to come to you. Go go find your life and find it by keeping your heart open to the things that come your way. Thank you. So when you go, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? I, I guess, you know, somebody asked me that, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And, 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 and I don't. I mean, nobody's going to name a street after me or, a you know, a building after. I mean, I, that's that's never been important to me. What's really important to me right now is to put as much love, as much goodness, as much positivity back into the world as I possibly can. And if I can do that, it's not what you leave behind or, or what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. So if I can do something positive for you or, or my neighbor or somebody I come in contact with at the hospital, that's weaving something positive into their hearts. And if I can do that, then my legacy is going to be the goodness that they then weave into other hearts that they meet. So as far as that's concerned, you know, I don't have any great desire to be remembered. I, I know I won't be, you know, 100 years from now, nobody is going to know that I was here. And that's okay. No, but, remember, you've but, got, what, the, you've got yeah, the, the people I touch. Yeah, the people I touched who will touch other people, yeah. touch other people. Yes, that will be my legacy. Like you are, like you are talking about that. something that happened in 1976. Somebody might be talking about Terry Tucker in the year 2080. So maybe. Yeah, maybe. I doubt it. But and that's no. OK. I, I you don't never know. You know. You're right. You don't. But but it's not something being remembered isn't something that, I, you know, it's like, well, I've got to be remembered. I, I don't, I don't have to be remembered. I just have to do as much good as I can and then let those gifts move forward after I'm gone. Yeah. Paying it forward. 
Exactly. Perfect. I like that. Well, Perfect. You, I tell you, you will be remembered. I will remember you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank definitely. You. And listeners to my podcast will remember you because it will touch somebody's life. You would uh, impact positively. I mean, from what you've said so far, you seem to be the kind of person that shows love in whatever situation they find themselves in. You've found yourself with this cancer and you're still so positive. You're still bent on showing and displaying love to other people. You want to help your neighbor. You talk about other things, but you're still motivating people right now. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, you know, and I made a conscious decision that when I got cancer, that I wasn't going to take out the fact that I had cancer or that I was having a bad day on, on a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or, you know, and a medical assistant. I wasn't, I wasn't going to take my bad luck, if you want to call it bad luck, out on somebody else. And, and people are always like, you know, it's like, how come you never have a bad day? I, I do. I do have bad days. I just, I just don't want to take that bad day out on you because you didn't have anything to do with it. And I don't want to bring you down if I'm down. So I, I, if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to try even harder to, to be positive and, and to show some respect and love and things like that for other people. Thank you so much, Terry. Do you have any last words for people whilst you're here? I'll leave you with this. And, and a lot of times when I, when I finish speaking, I'll, I'll ask people to do me this favor. For the next 30 days, everybody you come in contact with, imagine that they'll be dead tomorrow. You know, the person who cuts you off in traffic on the way to work or school today, the, the person at work who takes credit for the work that you did, or, you know, maybe if you have children and they're driving you crazy. Yeah. Imagine that for the next 30 days, imagine that those people who you come in contact with are going to be dead tomorrow. Because if you do that, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to have a whole lot less stress in your life, and you're going to have a much better appreciation for the other person who, as we talked about earlier, they're a human being. You know, they may be having a bad day and they cut you off in traffic. That doesn't make them a bad person. So you'll have a greater appreciation for the people that you do come in contact with, and you'll have a whole lot less stress in your life. So if you could do me that favor for the next 30 days, I think your life will be a whole lot better. Thank you. And lastly, you've talked about your book, where can listeners get a copy if they want to? You can pretty much get the book anywhere online that, that you can buy books. So through through Amazon, through barnesandnoble.com, through Apple iBooks. Um, you can go to my website, which is motivationalcheck.com. And there's a link on there to get to the book. Uh, so that's, you, you can pretty much, if you Google it on, online, you can pretty much find it. Sustainable Excellence by Terry Tucker. And I I just would like to end this by saying a a thank you to you because it's it's people like you that give people like me a forum to be able to get this message out. And between the two of us, hopefully we'll make a difference in the life of somebody who listens to this. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Find us anywhere you listen to your podcast and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr and YouTube at Meet Music. Please subscribe.